You're about to watch a great interview on TYT interviews. If you wanna watch them live, members are the only ones who get to do that. TYTnetwork.com slash join, become a member, enjoy the interviews as they happen. All right, welcome to the Young Turks. Senator Elizabeth Warren joins us today. Very, very happy to have you. She's got a new book out, This Fight is Our Fight, The Battle to Save America's Middle Class. And if you don't know her, you probably haven't been watching the Young Turks <laughs> or anything political. But she's also the creator of, of course, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Just over the weekend, I read an analysis that saved that it returned $11 billion to consumers. Directly to families that were cheated. This is what I love about this agency. This is government that actually works for people. So we gathered up to build the agency, gathered up all the consumer protection laws that were already out there, put them with one agency, they got the resources, they developed the expertise, and they have a mission. And they get out there to level the playing field. So you get cheated on credit cards or a bank account or a student loan, and the consumer agency comes in and does some enforcement, and they have actually forced these big financial institutions to to give back money, and here's the other part they do. If anybody needs this, um, they run a complaint hotline, and they have now handled over a million complaints. So when you get dinged for five bucks uh, because it's a charge and they won't reverse the charge and you think that's wrong on some credit deal, or uh, they won't give back your $15,000 down payment on a house because they said blah, 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 they get to keep it. Um, people file complaints through this consumer agency and go to cfpb.gov or consumeragency.gov. And you can look at the complaints, you can file a complaint. And a lot of the complaints, not all of them, but a lot of the complaints get resolved through the agency. People get their money back. It's a way to level the playing field between ordinary folks and these giant banks. So I think the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau is amazing. I think that if I saved people $11 billion, I could retire off of that. You think? <laughs> okay, so I'd feel great about that. But it does lead to an interesting question about how you walk the line between what you wanna push forward and get accomplished like you did with the Bureau, yeah. but at the same time resistance from some quarters of the Democratic Party. Yep. So President Obama, good example there, he did set it up. On the other hand, it was obvious that you should have led that and he didn't have you lead it in the beginning. <laughs> you have tweaked him on occasion, I have done more than tweak him, but I'm not a senator. So what's your sense of how to walk the line when you disagree with, with Democrats that you think are a little bit more careful, honestly, with their donors? Yeah, so you know, it's interesting you'd raise that, because I'll tell you a story from, from the fight over the CFPB. Uh, so uh, the financial crash has happened, uh, and a lot of people are focused on the big things. What we're gonna do, what, in, what became Dodd-Frank, right? About the big financial institutions and too big to fail and so on. And I'm looking at it and saying, hey guys, if we had had a consumer agency in place, this crash never would have happened because you couldn't have built up that kind of risk in the system from lousy cheating mortgages, which is what those things were. So I'm pushing and I'm pushing and I'm pushing to get the consumer agency. And let's face it, um, the banks all hate it. They're spending more than a million dollars a day to, to lobby against financial reform in general, but the consumer agency is like literally right at the crosshair, right in the center of what they're saying. No, 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 it will never happen. Republicans, no, 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 we can never have this. And Democrats, you know, there were some yes, some no. And so I had someone, someone asked me, this is long before 
I was ever in politics, ever thought I would be. Uh, someone asked me, uh, so if you can't get this strong independent agency that you want, kind of in effect, I think the question was something like, how much of a compromise could you take to get, mm. you know, to get everybody on board? And I said, look, I said, my first choice is a good, strong, independent agency. And my second choice is no agency at all and a lot of blood and teeth left on the floor. <laughs> well, I like that and, kind of talk. You know, and because that's how I saw it. You either yeah. get something good that's worth fighting for, but the point is you get in there and you fight for it. So now, I like your emphasis on the word fight. You got the word fight twice in your title this time. <laughs> last time, last book was- Next one, we'll have it three times. <laughs> last book was Fighting Chance. By one count yet over, you used the word fight 250 times in the first book. So, so that's near and dear to my heart. But so that leads to two questions, one about Democrats, one about Republicans. So Kurt Schilling, who, Considered running against you now, mm -hmm. apparently looks like he's not going to. We'll, we'll see. First of all, how much would you love to run against Kurt Schilling? <laughs> you know, that's that's up to Kurt Schilling. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. um, use the word hate in, in in regards to you. Say this is the senator we hate most. Mm -hmm. um, in in the words of FDR, do you welcome their hatred? <laughs> you know, look, guys, bring it on. I mean, that's kind of my bottom line here, because what I want to do is I want to say. Tell me exactly what it is that drives you so crazy about me. Uh, is it the fact that I really do believe that the federal government should not be making a profit off the backs of students on student loans? And that we ought to get ourselves to a place where kids can go to college without getting crushed by student loan debt? Is that the one that drives you crazy? Is it the fact, oh, here's one. Is it the fact that I believe in science? And that climate change is real, and that we have a moral obligation to create or to leave a world in which you can drink the water and breathe the air. And and is is that what it is? I mean, because that's really for me when I hear that kind of talk from them. I want to say, so tell me exactly what it is, and let's have it out over those issues. That's what I really so want. So that leads to the second question, which is, do you think that they're honest actors? Because my thesis is that they're largely errand boys for their donors. Yeah. So sometimes I, I have to confess that I get frustrated um, with conversation in Washington that treats them as honest actors. I, I don't, you know, Kurt Schilling's a genuine madman, but he's not in politics yet, right? I think he's legitimately crazy. But there are others, I believe, just Mitch McConnell doesn't have an opinion. He he has a he has donors, yeah. right? And and he does what the donors tell him. So the reason they were against the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is obvious. They they're donors. twelve billion reasons, right? Eleven <laughs> billion reasons and counting, right? Yes, it's their money. largest donors are are the financial industry. Yep. And the financial industry doesn't want to get, wants to be able to keep those $11 billion that, by the way, they are not entitled to, that they took wrongly from consumers, and that's why it was returned. Well, they had to return it. They had to admit right. that they took it wrongly. So that's easy enough, I think, with Republicans, except I'll ask one more question about that, and then we'll turn to the Democrats. Ben Carson. So, okay. So I, you knew this is coming. No, it's a fair question. <laughs> okay. So now, but my take on it is maybe a little different than others. So you've voted to advance him so that he can get a vote in the Senate, and then you voted against him in the confirmation. But it, it, when I saw why you did it in your explanation of it, look, I actually don't care that much about that vote, to be honest, because when a president 
um, wins, like President Trump wins, well, he's gonna pick loathsome people as, as his cabinet, and that's a fact of life. And yeah, you fight them, and then and then likely they get confirmed, and they all did. So, but but I think that the part that honestly bothered me a little bit was when it goes to the heart of this conversation, is that when you said you met with him and and you. He kind of convinced you that he would be an honest actor. Whereas I don't think that Republicans think that way. I mean, what do they do? He comes in and they slash HUD dramatically. Oh, I know. Right? So there is no, like, do you think that Ben Carson, when he's talking to you in your Senate office, is having a real conversation with you and that he could deliver on promises not to cut things? Because I think that's just not realistic. So let me tell you what the conversation was about. Okay. The conversation was about, Lib. And it was about the fact in Massachusetts, we have the oldest public housing stock in the nation. And a lot of our, there's still a lot of lead paint in them. And the federal government has been promising for years that they would do lead abatement, that they'd get it out, right? And, mm-hmm. and they haven't. And that means year after year after year, when mamas raise those windows and lower those windows, it creates lead dust that the babies breathe in and it caused brain damage. And Ben Carson and I had a conversation about the effects of lead on brains and about how it is that the federal government is providing housing still in 2017, is still providing housing in America where there's a lead problem. And Carson, who's whole background is is uh, as a neurologist, right, mm-hmm. a neurosurgeon. Yep. Carson went into a whole long passionate explanation of the importance of lead abatement and the impact of lead on developing brains and how he would make this a first, first, first priority for him. And he said um, he would fight for the resources to do it. He would fight to have resources in public housing and so on. And I thought, maybe he will, maybe he will. Not for sure he will, but maybe he will. I'm, I'm on the front lines in the fight against Betsy DeVos, whom I had mm. just met with in that same period of time. Uh, on the front lines in the fight against the Secretary of Labor, on the front lines in these other fights. But I thought maybe Carson would do this. And then what happened is we advanced him out of committee so that he can go to the floor and in that five weeks between that time and the time he goes to the floor, Trump puts his immigration ban in place, trying to ban immigrants from Muslim countries, uh, which is then, of course, declared unconstitutional. We're at the airport fighting on this. Trump makes it clear just where he's heading. And Ben Carson makes it clear he's not a guy who's going to stand up to him. And to me, I thought, enough of this and voted no by the time we get to the floor. Okay, so has he done anything on lead? No. So then what is the assumption you have going forward about, honestly, not just Republicans, but Democrats who are beholden to donor money? You know, look, it's that right now in Washington, money is everything. This is what I talk about in the book, Mm -hmm. this fight is our fight, as you know. I talk about the big arc of when America once worked for working people and how unions strengthened, how we built a middle class, how we created opportunity for kids like me, for for kids that grew up in families that had nothing. And how that changes starting in 1980 
going forward to 2017 and how it has been an America that has been filtered. Every decision in Washington gets filtered through how it affects the rich and the powerful. And that's because of the donor class. But I, I just want to add so much more. And that's what I talk about in the book. It's not just about donors. It's about the lobbyists, the armies of lobbyists that are there. It's about the bought and paid for experts. It's about the so-called think tanks that just churn out uh, uh, something that's... <laughs> churn out ideas that come exactly from the donor base. It's it's how money, I describe it at one point, how money slithers through Washington like a snake. And it is there at every point and it's affecting every decision we make. And if we don't fight back, it truly will destroy our democracy. So that's of course absolutely right. In, in, in 1980s when the, the turn happens, partly because of Supreme Court decisions, Buckley v. Vallejo and Bellotti in 78, where they said corporations have the speech rights to be able to, in essence, in essence legally bribe politicians. So now it's easy for me to point that out and it's easy for me to criticize Republicans and Democrats on that issue. And you mentioned think tanks. Center for American Progress, you've spoken there, is a Democratic think tank. Third way has attacked you is a so-called centrist think tank. But I think they're a wolf in sheep's clothing that pretend to be on the left, but are in fact work completely for corporations. Third way is a little easier for you. Center for American Progress is a little harder for you mm -hmm. since you've spoken there and I'm sure you have friends there. And it's easy for me, not as easy for you. You're a Democratic senator. Joe Manchin, I think is another guy who works almost completely for his donors. Easy for me to say, not so easy for you to say. So how do you balance collegiality and and working together with Democratic colleagues and and some of the realities you know about their donor base and or if you're going to be charitable, your differences of opinion? So look, it, for me, this is not about collegiality. Mm -hmm. I just want to be blunt. I, mm -hmm. I'm not running for Miss Popularity. Uh, that, that ship sailed a long time ago. Um, but for me, what this is really about is fighting for the same set of issues I came to the United States Senate to fight for. I came to politics very late in life. Mm -hmm. I thought I'd spend my whole life as a teacher and a researcher. And what I kept watching is what was happening to America's middle class, what was happening to working families, what was happening to the poor, what was happening to opportunity in America. I'll work with anyone who will help us expand opportunity again. And and I want to I want to make a spirited defense that there are folks like Joe Manchin. He works hard on issues that affect working people in West Virginia. Um, we just he rounded up the whole Democratic caucus and I give him complete credit for this to get the US government to move in and make good on uh, the miners health insurance. Um, these were people who are going to be kicked off their health insurance, people whose, whose lives have been wrecked from years of working in the mines. And when we can get together on student loans, when we can get together on social security, expanding social security instead of contracting it, when we can get together on the issues that affect the economic well-being of hardworking people in this country, then by golly, I'm going to do it. So, you know, you could point to a couple of votes that Manchin has done right, of course, right? Mm -hmm. And and I could point to probably more than a couple that he's done wrong in my opinion. Um, but is there any Democratic senator that you wouldn't support in a primary 
uh, because they are not progressive enough or they're too beholden to their donors. You know, right now, I gotta say, I've worked with all of my colleagues and shoot, are there places where I don't agree with them? You bet. Are there places I have fought with them? Yes, there have, and places I will continue to fight with them. But there are also places where they've stood up for hardworking families where we couldn't get one Republican to stand with us, not one, not one. We talk about expanding Social Security and we get all of the Democrats standing with us. How many Republicans did we get for that one? None. We can't even get a vote on refinancing student loans. We can't even get a vote on, on, our, on, on uh, the bill we've got right now to try to import drugs from uh, Canada, which would help bring down health care costs. There are things we want to do in the Democratic caucus. There are some things for which all of the Democrats have stood strong and we can't get a single Republican to come across with us. Mostly, I'm saving my fire for those guys. Okay, I hear you. So now, uh, part of the reason that the Republicans um, Let's say dislike you. <laughs> is your wife? Come on, I'm, I'm an easygoing person. What's to dislike? Right? <laughs> well, when you cost their donors money, that's what's well, to dislike. Go. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, is is that you're widely considered to be the second most progressive senator in the country? One, do you agree to that? I I don't know your metrics, but I'm somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And two, are you proud of that? Yeah. Why okay. wouldn't I be? Okay, all right, great. Uh, well, you know, so you asked some no, Democratic nominees and they're I not. I just want to know if I have to settle for second. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now, of course, you know the, the person most widely considered to be the most progressive sure. senator is Bernie Sanders. Yeah. So natural question is, why not back him during the 2016 primaries if you two are the closest aligned in policy? So look, um, I think that, that our our primary, I thought was a good thing. Uh, and uh, I thought it was good that Bernie was out there, that Hillary was out there. They were giving two different visions. They were out there through all the states. I thought it put both energy on our side. I'll tell you something else I thought it did. It made me proud to be a Democrat. You know, while the Republicans were doing their clown car thing, you know, with who was gonna be voted off the island. And then of course ended up with a reality star uh, as their, as their standard bearer, I was proud of what Democrats were out there talking about. I thought it was the right thing to do. Um, and in the end, uh, when uh, uh, when it was time, I went out there and and fought once it was resolved uh, to try to get Hillary elected. And I would have done the same for Bernie, no doubt about it. Do you get why some progressives are still mad about that? That, that Massachusetts was decided by 1.3 points, Iowa was decided by 0.3. That perhaps you could have helped him put a put him over the top, and then he would have won Iowa, New Hampshire, Look, Massachusetts. And there are people who see it the other way. Yeah. You know, for me, I think about it this way: there is nothing the Republicans would love better than for us to stand around and shoot at each other over and relitigate what happened in 2016. I look at what's happening in Washington right now. I look at what Donald Trump wants to do on health care and the Republican majority in Congress wants to do. I look at this new budget they've put out. I look at what's happening right now in the connections with Russia. And I say, God, we gotta get focused here. And we gotta focus on what Donald Trump is gonna do in the next 24 hours 
the next week, the next month. That's that's where we need our energy. Uh, I also understand that, but it, primaries are important, as you say. Sure. You you really enjoy the fact that there was a strong primary mm -hmm. and a discussion I'm of proud ideas. Of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to skip the standard question about if you're going to run. You've got a book out, etc. Right? Uh, for and we understand what people think that means. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you, if you, you don't do know, run, you do know this is my 11th book. <laughs> and, I know. I know that. And I know I, that. And they've books are how I argue. No, I, I okay. understand that. Fully. Okay. Good. I, I'm skipping that question. Okay. Okay. Right. okay. What I'm asking is, if you don't run. Do you think this time around uh, that you will have a more forceful opinion in the primaries? Because that is when people will decide who are standard bearers. Their standard bearer is the reality show star. Yeah. And our standard bearer will either be a progressive or someone who is more beholden to donors yeah. or someone in between. So if, for example, Bernie Sanders were to run again, if you're not running, would you support him? You know, I don't know where we'll be in. 2020. It's a it's a long time off. I, I supported and helped Bernie long before I ever thought I'd be in politics. I used to go up, uh, went up to uh, uh, to do town halls with Bernie uh, to talk about what was happening to working families. Uh, I used to call in on Bernie's uh, when he had a, a radio show for a period of time. Um, but I don't know where we'll be in 2020. I don't think Bernie knows where we'll be in 2020. So I don't know what Bernie's going to do, and I don't. I don't want to be in a position to push Bernie to do anything. What I see right now really is that as Democrats, as progressives, we can't make politics a once every four year thing. It has got to be an everyday thing. Donald Trump has not been in office, what, 150 days yet? It's, it's less than that. He's got a long, long time to go or at least the Republicans do, Republican majority in the House, Republican majority in the Senate. The way I see it is, man, we gotta be all in on the fights that are occurring right now, the things they're doing right now. I, I worry because it is, because it's healthcare, because it's this budget. I worry about what's happening over the Environmental Protection Agency. I worry about what's happening at the Department of Education and how we need to exercise Oversight, and I, I want to use oversight not just in a technical Washington sense, but in a in a democratic, small d democratic sense that we watch, that that we that we ask our government, we demand that our government be responsive to us. But that means being focused on the fights that are in front of us right now. We cannot sit back and just start the speculation on what's going to happen three and a half years from now. So then before we go, tell me in 2018, what are the issues that the Democrats should focus on? What do you think are not only important, but winning political issues? So look, the Russia thing, we're, we're gonna have to see how this one resolves. But uh, right now, the idea that there is a connection between a foreign government that we know, our intelligence agencies have told us, hacked into American systems to influence the outcome of the 2016 election. I mean, that's just, that's stunning. So, and, and right now, Republicans won't even talk openly about the fact that it happened, much less what it is that we need to do to get to the bottom of an investigation about it and make sure it never, ever, ever happens again. I think that's gonna be a, a really important, and where that develops about the relationship between Russia, the Trump campaign, and Donald Trump 
personally. I think that's going to be a big deal. Um, I think it's a big deal to talk about health care. There is nothing right now that better illustrates the difference between Republicans and Democrats. That Republicans want to knock 24 million people off health care so that they can give a tax break to a handful of millionaires and billionaires. They want to drive up costs for middle class families and working families so they can give a tax break to a handful of millionaires and billionaires. They want to say it's okay to charge more for people with pre-existing conditions or cut out people with mental health issues or substance abuse. Also, they can give a tax break to a handful of millionaires and billionaires. Man. How could you have a better distinction between what it means to be a Republican in America today and what it means to be a Democrat? And then look at that budget. Look at that nasty budget that Donald Trump has sent forward. And the Republicans are saying, hey, yeah, it looks like it's right at about the right place. A budget that, that takes areas like public education and says, hey, let's cut funding for um, I don't know, for foreign languages, for PE, uh, cut funding for AP classes, cut funding, cut funding for the Special Olympics. I mean, are you kidding me? And then for college students, you know, to say, let's, let's get rid of, of uh, loan forgiveness for young people who go into public service, uh, for people who are really moved by public service. Uh, uh, let's just drown them on the student loans. You know, let's, just, let's just pack them on. And they want to drive up the costs on student loans for low income students. They want to cut Pell Grants. And that's just one area where it's all about shrinking opportunity. And then they want to cut the budget for the Environmental Protection Agency. This will lop off a huge part of the EPA. Let those guys dump in the rivers, let them drill offshore. Boy, to me, those are the areas Democrats should talk about. The areas where the differences between what it means to be a Democrat and what it means to be a Republican could not be clear. Those are the fights we need to have and boy, we need to have them all the way. All right, one last thing, because nobody ever asks you about foreign policy, I feel like, and I don't want to make the same mistake. Okay. So there's a million things to ask about, and as Trump would say, nobody knew it was this complicated. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, right? Jeez. Uh, so uh -huh. I'll just ask you about one, because uh -huh. Syria, it, it, it's so hard to tell what the right position there should yeah. be. And I, I'm, I've become more non-interventionist as I've gone on. Yeah. Um, Partly because I've seen the results, uh, but I'm curious as to what your take is. So, uh, fighting ISIS is easy, easy to say that, and and to perhaps uh, that to execute executing it and, and winning it not easy. Uh, but do we fight Assad, uh, do, or do we continue to bomb in the area? Do we withdraw? What's your take on so what to do there? Notice everything you're asking me is about the military strategy, but ultimately a solution in Syria is going to be a political solution. So. We have to think about those two things together. How is it that we're going to negotiate to a place of stability in Syria? Something that doesn't either provide a home for ISIS, doesn't further destabilize the region and threaten our allies in the area, and that isn't a humanitarian crisis that just continues to unfold. And it's the reminder. It's not just going to be the United States and Syria. It's not just going to be the United States and Syria and Russia. It's going to take bringing a lot of parties together and talking about what kind of a Syria goes forward. And a big part of that is going to be what we can what we can negotiate with the Russians. Let's face it, Assad would not be 
in charge if it weren't for the Russians. He already would have fallen. It's been Russian support that has kept him propped up. So when that's the case, you, you can't pretend that somehow just one more do bomb dropped on Assad is somehow gonna, gonna resolve this. It's not gonna be resolved in that sense. It's got to be negotiated and we gotta have the big players in the room and that means you gotta have you got to have Russia. If at the end of the day Assad survives then and is still the leader of Syria, can you live with that? It's like a lot of things. It, in a world of bad choices, it depends on what the alternatives are. Because the key for me is they cannot be a place where ISIS can retreat to. They cannot be a destabilizing force that threaten our allies. And we cannot have this humanitarian crisis that that just continues to unfold and, and he has proven that he is willing, that he is a monster, that he is willing to gas his own people. But those have to be our goals. Those And, and we have to be hard-nosed about keeping our eye on what the goals are and if we can meet the goals, then we go with that. Senator Elizabeth Warren, the book is This Fight is Our Fight, The Battle to Save America's Middle Class. We'll have a link to it wherever this is posted. Thank you so much for joining Thank us on you. The Young Turks. It's so good to be here. If you like the interview that you just watched, I got great news for you. If you become a Young Turks member, you can watch them live as they happen. Only the members get that. You also get Young Turks live. You also get Aggressive Progressive live and Old School live. Everything is available for the members and commercial free. tytnetwork.com slash join.